Whenever you say you believe in something, it means you're putting all your weight behind it. You're trusting fully in it. And whenever we say that we believe in something like God, we are literally saying that we are, are, are placing our entire existence in this belief system. And so it's a very important word, something that we shouldn't take lightly. But I believe as, as, as Christians, okay, most of us in this room today are Christians, that we should know why we believe what we believe. I know a lot of us, we know what we believe. We can like state it, but we don't know the logic behind it. We don't know the reasoning behind it. And, and what happens is then we can't move on to the next thing, which is really cr- truly growing in our belief, right? How do we grow in our belief? And then we definitely can't do the third thing, which is share our beliefs with other people. <laughs> if I have no confidence in what I believe or why I believe what I believe, I'm not looking to get into any conversations or, or evangelize very much because I'm a little bit scared to get into that situation. And so I think it's so important that we actually know what we believe. Again, our mission statement is that we wanna help people know God. We don't make people know God. Nobody has ever been able to effectively make someone know God, okay? We are like servants in the kingdom of God and, and, we, and we communicate and we, we serve people. But at the end of the day, God builds his church. God is drawing all men unto himself. And so, so in that, we want to be faithful to do that. We also want to be faithful here at Northwood Church to equip and mature the believer. I believe that whenever somebody gets saved, right, they make a decision to follow Jesus, right, that at that moment, the body of Christ then kind of kicks into gear as well. And we come in, we support, and we equip, and we mature in a lot of different ways. Uh, but we want to be faithful to that. So a quick recap of last week which if you listen to last week, you know, quickly recapping that it's next to impossible. So it's going to be uh, wanting in a lot of different ways. But last week we talked about, does God exist? And we talked about how there's a series of questions that needs, needs to be asked, or even a series of be- steps in belief that need to happen before someone can really say they believe in God, let alone all the way to Christianity, which is, I believe in the God of the Bible, Okay, we talked about atheism and, and um, how a lot of people are, are atheists nowadays, but there's actually a lot of people who claim to be agnostics, right? And then you move into deism, where people believe there is a God, but he's not really involved. And then there's theists, which is we're one of the subcategories of theists, where we believe that God not only created all things, but he is involved in all things, right? He's still here with us. So we kind of worked through that. We also talked about the uh, scientific evidence there is that supports that there is some sort of higher power. And also, as Christians, uh, sometimes we assume that if somebody, you know, we, we ask somebody, do you believe in Jesus? We, we don't realize how many other of these steps we're just assuming, right? That they believe that there is a God and that he is actually involved in things. And, and sometimes we just kind of go straight to this question. And we've got to be able to track through all of these other conversations. We talked about following the evidence and, uh, and that there's a lot of evidence that supports that there is a God. Now, moving into this week, there is a a very important hinge pin that we are not going to cover this week. We're actually going to cover in March, but I I wanted to take a second and talk about it because the Bible, right? I actually brought a real one today. Is that cool? Like, I mean, listen to this. Like, they still exist. It's amazing. But um, the Bible, the authenticity of the word of God is so, it's such a big deal. It's so important. And a lot of people feel like this book is, is out of date, uh, that a lot of people, you know, misread it and misinterpret it. So they, they want to uh, bring down the validity of the Bible or the reliability of the Bible. 
But we're going to learn next month and really delve deep into the archaeological evidence, the, 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 the evidence that we have, that the Bible is real, right, valid, and a book that we can trust in. So there's a lot of supporting evidence. And what's funny to me uh, is the fact that we will use a lot of other books in the world, in our universities and, and whatnot, that have a lot less evidence of that they are actually valid and reliable. And we'll speak about those with such confidence, but, but a lot of people, when it comes to the word of God, there's overwhelming evidence, but yet at the same time, they'll try to downplay it. We have some double standards in our culture, okay? So anyway, we'll be getting into that next month. But we also last week described how God transcends space, time, and matter. And uh, I wanted to read, start off today by reading a quote from Norman Geisler. He's a, a really a modern day theologian. He actually just passed away last year. But in his systematic theology book, he, he says this, the transcendence of God entails the assertions that he is above, beyond, other than, and more than the world. He is above and beyond all creation. The biblical foundation for God's transcendence Transcendence begins in the very first verse and permeates the whole of scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's eminence is the flip side of his transcendence. In relation to his creation, God is not only over it, but he is also in it. He is both far and near. As infinite, God must be beyond his creation, yet as its sustaining cause, he must be within it. The Bible provides abundant evidence for God's eminence. In Jeremiah 23, 24, it says this, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. In light of the quote that we just read, this scripture means something a little bit different than maybe you would have thought of before, right? Like he is transcendent, but he's also imminent in, involved in, he fills all of heaven and all of earth. Uh, Geisler also mentioned that God is infinite, He's infinite. So here's the deal. We are finite. We have limits in our understanding. We have limits in our power and all of these things. And so, so God is infinite. Just a, a quick example of that. I want you to all close your eyes really quick, really quick. And I want you to think about eternity. Eternity past. Just, just keep going. And then eternity future. No end. Yep, where you, th you thought it ended right there, like, like go past that. All right, all right, open your eyes. You felt how your brain kind of went, <laughs> now, did you feel that? Maybe some of you didn't. Go home later today and actually just think about that. You end, like there's this finite moment where you just, you come up against the end of your understanding because we can't truly fathom or comprehend that. Well, God is that. God is infinite. He is big, okay? Isaiah 55, nine says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He also talks about how God sustains creation. Even, I believe, to a cellular level that God is sustaining all li living things. He's holding things together. We actually read the scripture last week. I want to read it again. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. 
some of the things that we really discussed last week. All things are held together by God. So week one, does God exist? We believe, believe that he does. If he does exist, I think the question that we're going to talk about this week is the logical next one, which is this. Then what is God like? If he does exist, then what is he like? Right? When I meet somebody, I know their name, they exist, I shook their hand, but then I begin to learn who they are. What are their characteristics? What's their nature like? And this is what we need to walk through when we talk about God. And so today, we're going to work through three attributes of God that describe his transcendence and his involvement in uh, creation at the same time. These are called his omnis, which omni is simply a, a Latin root word for the word all. So whenever we say all, we're basically saying he is all this, all that, okay? And so we're going to be working through that. Also, uh, we're going to be using Psalm 139 as an example of how this really applies to our life. Uh, King David writes this psalm, and I believe that he really displays all of these characteristics really well in a way that's going to apply to us. And so the first thing we want to talk about is, is how God is all-knowing or omniscient. Basically, God knows everything about everything, he transcends human knowledge. He's, he's above, outside, bigger than our knowledge. Now, here's the deal. God doesn't just have knowledge, but he is infinitely knowledgeable. All right? It's not like, it's not like he just kind of has a little bit of knowledge. Like, literally, he is all knowledgeable. Okay? He, he is perfect knowledge. He doesn't have to, uh, to reason or think. He doesn't have to search for the best case scenario. Right? It's not like he has to sit there and ponder things. He's never learned anything. Right? Like there wasn't a moment that God was like, you know, I hadn't thought about that. We talked about this last year whenever we talked about Abraham and the fact that God, you know, Abraham asks him some questions and, and like how, you know, some people perceive it as God's like, you know what, Abraham? I, I hadn't thought about that. I, you know, I think I would be gracious to those people if there was 50 or or maybe less. I think that I, I might, like we, we think sometimes that God is surprised. We think that he has to like work through a bunch of different things to get to the best case scenario. And actually, honestly, I want to show you a video of what I think that we think God looks like a lot of times. Let's go ahead and show that. It's blowing my mind. Excuse me? But does your friend often do that? Strange. We all right? Be back, Jeremy. Hey, what was that? Look forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? 14,605. <laughs> How many did we win? Right? Like, that's, that's God to us sometimes, like, <laughs> overwhelmed, sweating, you know, trying to hold all things together, you know? And that's not what God does, y'all. That's not, that's not who he is. He's not overwhelmed. He's not Dr. Strange, okay? <laughs> He's a little bit bigger than that. Isaiah says this, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who did it? 
It's sort of like whenever uh, Job speaks out of turn in the book of Job and God's like, hold up a second. I have a couple of things to say. You know, where were you whenever I did this and I did that? Job ends up saying, like, I have spoken too soon, Lord. You know, if you've ever read that story, you know, I've spoken too soon. Who gives God understanding? Nobody. We don't inform God of things. He knows them. Hippolytus was a a theologian in the early church, and this is a quote from him. He says, God is fully acquainted with whatever is about to take place, for foreknowledge also is present to him. God is outside of time. He's not wondering what's coming. He's not wondering why something happened in the past. He understands exactly and perfectly what's going on. The macro and the micro, he knows it all and he understands it all. And in Psalm 139, David begins to talk about this. And he says this in verse one, one through six. He says, oh Lord, you have searched You've searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I cannot attain it. David understood. I I love reading David's writings because he had a bigger understanding than a lot of people that seemed at his time. He had a greater understanding of the heart of God and the nature of God. And this is one more example of that, the knowledge of God. See, for us, if God knows all things, then we can trust that God knows us that he knows us, that he is acquainted with our struggles, that he knows the situations that we are currently in, that he not only understands it intellectually, but he has experienced it experientially, okay? Jesus, whenever he was on the face of the earth, and we we actually just took communion, we talked about it. He experienced rejection. He experienced physical abuse. He experienced what it was like to hang naked in front of people as he was mocked. He experienced all of these horrible things. And that's why whenever it says in Hebrews, he's, he's suffered as we have suffered. He, he's a, a, a great high priest, right? That he knows and he empathizes with those things. And we've got to understand that as people, sometimes we have this, this view that God is disconnected from us emotionally, but it's not the case. He knows us. He knows where we're at, which is the beautiful part about the next thing about God is that he is all present. He's omnipresent. God is infinite and eternal, and he transcends all space and time. He is infinitely present. All right, again, let your brain just kind of go... He's infinitely present. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is God. He's always been. He will always be. He's currently present with us right now. He was also present with George Washington. Okay? He's also present with, you know, Moses. He's 
All throughout history, he's been fully present at all points. Wayne Grudem actually says this, God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. For instance, God is the originator and creator of the universe, but also the sustainer and the operator in the universe, right? He creates and he sustains. He's the originator and he's the operator, both at the same time, both and, not either or, not at some point, but all points at the same time. He both creates and he sustains. In God's infinite existence, he is also necessary to manage it. He's necessary. He's necessary to cause it and he's necessary to sustain it. N.T. Wright says this, through him the world is sustained prevent it from falling into chaos. That goes along with what we talked about last week when we talk about the law of decay or entropy whenever things trend towards chaos, right? Creation itself is not just a, a, a stagnant, uh, uh, stable type of environment. It, it's, it's trending away. It's, it's trending towards chaos. We talked about people. We do that naturally. We don't trend towards unity. We trend, trend towards disunity and division. That's why we have to keep the bond of peace, right? We have to maintain unity. It doesn't just happen by itself. It's the same thing in creation. There's something that is holding all things together. And we believe it is God by his power that he is fully present at all times, sustaining and caring for all things and all people not just a part. So if this is true, then we know that God has and always will be with us. He'll be with us. Psalms 139, verse seven through 12. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. The realm of the dead, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is brought as the day, bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Even the most intense situation that you can be in where you feel like there is no light, God is with you. He is present. Psalm 23 talks about how even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't fear evil. Sometimes we think that just a valley of the shadow of death is just a, a trial, right? I, I actually was talking to somebody in the church not too long ago and they said, what if the valley of the shadow of death is actually just this life? It's not just a moment. It's not just a bad season. It's the entirety of our birth to physical death, right? And I thought that was beautiful because a lot of times we're always looking for that mountaintop. We're looking for it. Like when I get through this season, what if this season is permanent, right? What if the season you're in, like this, this is the new reality. This is the new norm. Is God still present with you then? Or is he up on top of the mountain? Like, come on, come, just, just keep, I'm up here. No, he is with you in the darkness, right? There's no confusion with him. He's making your path straight whenever you acknowledge him in all of your ways. 
He's with you. He's guiding you. Sometimes we just don't see 100 yards in front of us. We see one foot in front of us. It does not negate that God is still with us because he's all present. The next thing is that God is all powerful. He's omnipotent. God is is infinitely powerful, far beyond any force that we can calculate or know or truly understand. He's far outside of that, right? He transcends it. He's infinitely powerful. Psalm 65 says, oh God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs, in awe of your signs. Matthew 19 and Jeremiah 32 talk about how what's impossible for man is possible for God and that nothing is impossible for God, right? Now, a lot of us, especially if you grew up in church, like that's just a cliche, it's just a cliche. And whenever you say it, at, time, at times, there's not a, a revelation of it that's attached to it. So it's more of just this regurgitation of something that you know you're supposed to say. Because, like, God, nothing's impossible for God. But inside, you're going, yeah, but I don't really know. You know what I'm saying? Biblically speaking, even scientifically and what we believe in regards to the evidence that we see, like there is this higher power that is all powerful. He's all knowing, he's all present. And we need to trust in that. So if we know that he is all of these things, if God has the power to create all things, if he has that type of power to create all things, he also has all power, the power to sustain all things. And this is where the picture of God's transcendence and his imminence comes into play, that he is above all, right? He has created all things, he's transcendent, but he is also intricately involved in creation at this very moment, sustaining all things. He's both outside and inside of creation at the same time. Psalm 139, verse 13. David goes on, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The the miracle of the developmental process of a baby in the womb of its mother is still something that brings scientists to their knees in regards to the complexity of it. One of the men that was involved in uh, designing or or, uh, um, inventing the MRI machine, he's a mathematician. As he began to look at all of the calculations and all the things that that had to take place for a child to be developed in the womb, it literally forced him into believing in some sort of higher power just because of the simple facts and figures that he was looking at and calculating. David knew this in Psalm 139. No x-ray, right? He didn't have any of that. Simply just shocked by what he saw, what he thought about himself. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. 
Not only does God know you, not only is he with you, but I sincerely believe that God will keep you. He's created you and he will keep you and sustain you. Through the toughest times, through the times that haven't happened to you, the situations that actually aren't a reality, but just an imagination that you fear may happen, God will be with you in that season, right? We talked about anxiety and things and, and worry last, uh, last month about don't miss it. And I think that this beautifully pairs up with that. The fact that God is with you now and even with the, the what ifs. He's still with you. He's all present. He's all powerful. And he's with you now. So this moved David's heart to worship. It moved him to awe and to wonder. A couple of, a couple of responses that I think here in America we struggle with. We're not really good at awe and wonder. We're not easily impressed. Come on, cynical people in the room today. Right, like we need, we always need something else to, oh. And sometimes we overlook the fact that like, we're here and conscious and healthy and aware. We miss the fact that we're alive. Now in the Bible, we see this response of awe and wonder uh, produced in a lot of people's lives whenever they would see the holiness or the power of God, whenever they would have a revelation of that, it would almost force their hand into seeing, by contrast, their lack of power or their lack of holiness. And I believe that it's something that we should experience. I think that we should truly experience the same thing a lot, often. I think we should, we should be reminded of our lack of purity and our lack of holiness apart from Jesus. I think that's a healthy thing. I think, I think sometimes you should just sit and meditate upon the depravity inside of yourself. It might be good, right? We're always taught to build ourselves up and think positive, and that's great. But I think at times we should actually think super realistically and biblically about who we are apart from Jesus, right? And it should create this awe and this wonder and actually a, an even deeper revelation of the love that God has for us and the fact that he would send Jesus to people like us. But David goes on, and I believe that here is where David encounters one of the most intense questions that we have, and he doesn't deny it. He actually acknowledges it in his own life, and it's the question of evil and suffering and the reality of the things that we see in light of what we just talked about. If God is all of these things, then why do we still see evil and suffering and pain? So picking up in verse 16 again, he says, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. He's like reminding himself almost like, like of what he's already talked about here and how precious to me are your thoughts that you are all knowing, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. Just the, the bigness of God, the infinity of God. I awake and I am still with you. But then in verse 19, he says this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. In another version, it says, if only God, you would destroy the wicked. I've been in this moment where David's at so many times in my life 
God, you've done this, and I see your works here. I see the fact that we are alive. It's incredible. But God, if only you would do like this, this one, just one more thing. And David says that, God, if only you would destroy, utterly remove them from the face of the planet, the wicked, evil, right? If only you would do that. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. He says, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Like, God, don't you see what I see? Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. David is expressing how how much he is on the side of God, right? Does that, does that sound like some of your prayers at times? Like, like God, I've done everything that I know to do. Like, I, I've read the word. I've been obedient. I've prayed just the right prayers at just the right time, right? And I've, I've, I've tried really hard. I've tried to rest, tried to lay off and just give it to you. But it seems like the reality is still there. And, and today, we're not going deep into this subject because honestly, we don't have the time We're going to be covering this later this year. But today, I wanted to see how David responded to it. I wanted to see how did King David, who is is very acquainted with grief, he lost a, a young child. He lost an adult child that turned on him and rejected him. He went through physical suffering. He went through relational suffering. He experienced all of these things. And here in 139, he's, he's talking through it. And he's like, God, why don't you just destroy them? Now, at this moment, I believe that there was a long pause. We read it just back to back, verses back to back. This is a psalm that David wrote. I've, I've written a lot of songs in my life, some of them were really bad. You'll never hear them. Don't even ask me about them, all right? All right? Some of them have been decent. And I can tell you one thing about writing a song is that you write it one line at a time. You write it one thought at a time. And sometimes you write a line and you walk away for a year. And then you come back and you look at it and you're like, I still don't know how to complete that thought. I don't know what the next thing is because I haven't got there yet. And I just imagine David between verse 22 and 23, there may have been, just give me some liberty with this verse. Is that okay, guys? Just give me a little bit of liberty. I like to think that maybe that was a, that was a little bit of time between those two verses where he had to contemplate a lot of things. He had a lot of tough questions to ask God and pray through and study through. And at the end of the day, this was David's response to this very difficult question of why is there evil and the results of it. Verse 23, David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Test me, God, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think that this response that David gives is, it's one that it doesn't satisfy necessarily or answer the exact question, but it does reveal, I I believe something greater, which is this. David 
the experiences that David had did not push him away from God. He didn't say, God, because you're all-knowing, because you're all-present, because you're all-powerful, then why don't you do these things? And it didn't cause him to, to, to walk away from God. What actually happened is David said, God, because you're all of these things, you're the only one who can fix it. You're the only one who can redeem it. And so what else do I have other than you? Search my heart, search my motives, search my ways. And God, if there be anything that displeases you, would you remove it from me? I repent right now, God, because I need you more than I need an answer. I need you more than I need some sort of thing that will satisfy that in my life. I need you. And I think for all of us that, that we've got to get to this place. We've got to understand the bigness of God. We've got to understand that he is transcendent. We've got to understand that he is imminent. He is here, involved, sustaining all things. And that in that, he knows the best case scenario. He knows it. It's a high view of God. And in this place, I, I'm not naive. I know that there's a lot of you who have struggled with this. God, if you're this, then why this? David had the same thing. It's nothing new. You're not the first person to have dealt with this and you won't be the last. But I think one thing we can all do is we can all surrender our heart to God. We can all say, Lord, I don't know it, but I believe that you do. Would you bow your heads with me right now? God, we are here, we're humble, we're surrendered to you. God, I pray that in this moment that you would reveal yourself to us in a greater way, that you are all-knowing, all-powerful. God, you're here with us now, you're present. And in this place, God, would you draw all men to yourself? Every single one of us, whether we are far from you or near, whether we have been living a holy and a pure God-honoring life or not, would you bring us closer to your heart to understand your ways? If you're in this place and you're far from God, you, if I ask you this question, have you been born again or are you saved or, or do you believe in Jesus? Are you trusting in him? Do you believe in the good news that Jesus has died for your sin? If you can't say yes or you, you know that you've never made, like a, you never had a moment where you said, God, I'm following you right here, right now. Just say, God, I surrender to you all that I am, my successes and my failures. I need you. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for Jesus dying on that cross for my sin and my shame and being resurrected again to bring me new life. And I trust in that today. In Jesus' name, amen.